Well, again, as I said, it's good to see everyone here this afternoon. We had a wonderful luncheon today. I want to thank the ladies for that wonderful lunch. <clears throat> so my study this afternoon will be continuing with the study in, in Timothy. And so I have uh, the verses 1 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 16, and then 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5. So I'd like to read these verses, and I'll be reading from the New International Bible. And so beginning in verse 14 of 1 Timothy 3. The Bible says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. And then chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such things, such teachings, come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. So in previous verses of Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul gave the qualifications of elders and deacons. And he taught on how these men are to have been behaving or conducting themselves long before they were to be even considered for these offices. These men are to have been proving themselves before others that they were able to oversee the church. He spoke on even how their wives must be worthy of respect. Then in verse 14, Paul somewhat changes his thoughts to how the members of the Lord's church <clears throat> should behave. So Paul is writing because he wants people to know how to behave as members of the household of God as members of the body of Christ. And this tells us that even though not all are qualified to be an elder or a deacon, we are to behave with the same dignity and respect that these men are to have. This tells us that how we behave toward one another and how we behave as the people of God matters. So we need to always remember and to know who we are in this world, that we are God's children and that we are members of the church of His Son, Jesus. So we are God's family. We are, therefore, sons and daughters of God. 
being adopted into his glorious family. We are the assembly of the living God. We are his light for all to see. So we are being built into the dwelling place of God. According to Ephesians 2, 20 and 22, the Bible reads, You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined, bound, welded together harmoniously. And it continues to rise, to grow, increase into a holy temple in the Lord, a sanctuary dedicated, consecrated, and sacred to the presence of the Lord. In him and in his fellowship with one another, you yourselves also are being built up into this structure with the rest to form a fixed abode or dwelling place of God in, by, and through the Spirit. So as the family of God and the children of God, God is to be in our midst. And the Apostle Paul was teaching that we should reflect this in how we look and how we behave uh, to the world around us, to each other, to those that we come into contact with daily. So when we look at verse 15, we see why it matters how we behave. We find that we are a pillar or a buttress of the truth, the prop and the support of the truth, the foundation of the truth. We are pictured as holding up the truth for the world to see. <clears throat> In a sense, our lives are a home for God and a home for his truth. So as the church, we do not determine the truth but we display God's truth. This means that we cannot conform to the world's definitions, but must show what the truth is to tell the world around us what God's truth is. And not only to tell them what the truth is, but to live that in our lives. Remember that, uh, that we read in verse 4 of chapter 2, earlier, that God's desire is for all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And we are the support and the display of that truth. Remember that by conducting our lives as we should, then we are able to draw people closer to God. And this is our role, the role that we play together as God's people living on this earth. So let's look again at verse 16, 1 Timothy 3 and 16. Beyond all question, the mystery from which God, from which true godliness springs is great. And the Bible again says, He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. So we are to declare the truth that Jesus was alive in the flesh, that he died for our sins. He was raised from the dead and ascended back into the heavens. The life and teachings of Jesus were vindicated through his resurrection from the dead. When he arose from the grave, 
This declared God, Jesus, to be the Son of God in power. How we behave throughout our lives should show how much we believe in Him, how much we believe in God, and the power of God, and the power of the resurrection of Jesus. This resurrection, we find, was followed by many resurrection proofs, including witnesses. The angels proclaimed to the disciples that Jesus rose from the dead. And this is what is proclaimed to the world and believed. This is the goodness of God on display in Jesus, who is the good news to the world about us. Moving on to chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5. Again, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come from hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be, be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and in prayer. So all the more reason to diligently study God's word. It's important that we know the message of God and his goodness, and we should strive to display the truth of his word to the world about us through our lives, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we worship, the way we interact with the world and the way we interact with each other. So Paul is emphasizing in these verses that there are going to be deviations from God's message and there will always be a false or there will always be false teachers and there will always be false doctrines around us. Paul is teaching these verses that it is important to behave like the people of God in our everyday walk of this life and uphold his truth because people will depart the faith. And if we aren't careful, it could happen to any of us. I know that we, each of us, have probably seen throughout the years, not only at this congregation, but wherever you worship, growing up or in your earlier adult life, those that left the faith, those that left after many years in following God and his teaches, teachings. We saw Paul describe two who had shipwrecked their faith in 1 Timothy 19 and 20. And the sad reality is people are going to leave the faith. They are going to follow deceitful teachings, false teachings, false teachers, false doctrines. It's a very fad, sad picture, though, but this will happen, that some children of God are going to leave the faith <clears throat> and that there are going to be those who will follow false teachers and to begin to even teach these false teachings themselves because they or we 
are not grounded in the truth. And again, you may see this happen in those who have been members of the Lord's church for many years, that they will leave the church and even teach false teachings that they have been taught by those in the world. It's important to see that Paul is telling us that there will always be false teachers that don't care that we are being deceived. And they don't care that if you follow these false teachers, that you begin to deceive people as well. So this places each of us with a grave responsibility. You cannot accept as fact of what I'm speaking or anyone else teaches you from the pulpit just because they are standing in the pulpit. We must never depend on the teacher or preacher, but on the Word of God itself. So we need to read God's Word, to study it, to store it in our heart, believe it because it is God's Word. This is so important because of these false teachers that may come your way. And again, there will always be false teachers who wait in the shadows that will lead you or myself away if we're not studying God's Word ourselves. So the only way for those around us to know that we are supporting and proclaiming the truth to the world is not by relying on me or another teacher, but resting your faith on God's Word and behaving in a manner that we firmly believe and obey what God's Word teaches us. So again, we need to study God's Word. And this is the reason that we should study God's Word. We should read it. We should search the Scripture and store it in our heart. And this way, our hope is not in man, but our hope will rest exclusively on the Word of God. We are to study it for ourselves. 2 Timothy 2 and 15 Again, from the NIV reads, Do your best to present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So let's go on to chapter 4, verse 3. Paul goes on to list some of the false things that were being taught at that time. And some were being forbidding or forbidden to marriage. And notice that Paul says this is a false teacher who teaches this. You are not holier or closer to God because you choose not to marry. Being single is not a holier life. And holiness is not tied to your marital status. So some were teaching also, that they needed to abstain or to not eat certain foods. Somehow, it was taught that this was a greater holiness because you did not eat this food or that food, certain foods, to abstain from this food or that. But Paul tells us that this is not how we are to look at life. We are not to con condemn what God has created. Food is not sinful. 
marriage is not sinful. Money is not sinful. The internet or the television itself is not sinful. Technology and smartphones in themselves are not sinful. However, it is how we use these things that can be sinful. But it does not make anyone holier than anyone else by simply abstaining from these things. But if you have a proclivity to these things can cause you to sin or will hinder you from following Christ or from studying his word, then by all means abstain from them. But whether we are to remember that in our life we are to behave in a way that is holy as we use these things, not in a sinful way, but in a good way. Verses 4 and 5, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be, re be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prior, prayer. So how should we look at life? Paul says that what God created should be received with thanksgiving. God made all foods and all things to be received with thanksgiving. So food is a wonderful gift, a gift from God. And God did not have to make food taste good or make our energy and life come from eating food, but he did. And we too are to enjoy what he has made with thanksgiving and moderation. Marriage is a gift from God. And God did not have to create marriage for us, but he did. And we too are to enjoy what he has made and receive it with thanksgiving and honor. I think the point in verses 4 and 5 is everything God created is good and not to be rejected if received with thanksgiving. So thinking about Paul, what Paul is saying here, life is good. Historians write of one of the false teachings that would begin to gain traction toward the end of the first century. And that was called Gnosticism, because I'm sure I'm not pronouncing this right. G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M. And one of the branches of this teaching declares that everything created was evil and material existence as flawed. And this led to a kind of thinking that suggests that enjoying life in this world is a bad thing. You can see this taken to extremes in some religions, even in today's time. Some even inflicting pain on themselves as a mode of spirituality. And this idea is that the flesh is inherently evil, as well as every created thing. But here is the Apostle Paul teaching that this is simply not true. Again, food is to be enjoyed. Marriage is to be enjoyed. In fact, everything God created, everything created by God is good and to be enjoyed. The whole point is that whatever we have is given to us by God and we're to be thankful for it. Rather than avoid it or resent it, 
whether it is food, money, whether it is work, or rest, and vacation, what God wants us to realize is that it is from Him, and He created it, and we are to be thankful for His blessings to us. We are to be blessed. We are blessed with material things, and these too are a gift from God, and we should thank God for these, and we should enjoy these things when God gives them to us. Again, we should enjoy a vacation or travel. It is a gift from God, and He should be thanked. When we receive money, we should think of it as a gift from God, and we should thank Him for it. When we are able to rest, remember that too is a gift of God, and we should thank Him for it. May we never look at what God has made and suggest that there is something evil or sinful about it. God has gifted us so much for our use as we live on this earth. Again, everything that we see, everything that we have, is a blessing and a gift from God. So we should use it like that too. And we should cherish the blessings and the gifts from God. And we should thank Him daily in prayer. And we should rejoice in the things that God has given us. But again, remember to always be thankful for these gifts and use them to the glory of God and not in a sinful way. So can I or you thank God for what we do in this life or what we are doing? Or are we ashamed of the things that we do? Uh, ashamed for others to see the things that we do? Uh, ashamed for the people of the world to know that we are Christians, that we are members of the body of Christ? How do we behave around those in the world that we come in contact with? Do by our lives, do we show that we are ashamed of Christ, of God, or the church? Or do we show that we are thankful for God, to Jesus, for the things that we have in this earthly life? So how do we handle these gifts that God has given us? If we do something, use something, or have something, are we able to thank God for what it is and to thank God that we received it and that we received it as a blessing from Him? Or, on the other hand, does our conscience condemn us and are we ashamed because we have taken something that is to be received with thanksgiving and, and instead used it for sin or in a sinful way. One more consideration before I close the lesson. Ask yourself and myself, are we focused on God and His Word who gives us these blessings to enjoy? Or are we focused on the blessings? Well, certainly we should be focused on God. And then if we are blessed, certainly thank Him for these blessings. 
the other misuse is that we care more about what God has created than God himself. And it's so easy to get caught up in the things or the stuff that we have that we gain in this life, in our cars, our homes, our wealth, our careers, our travel, technology even, that we lose sight of our love for God. So we find that we must ask ourselves daily if we have lost our love for God because our hearts have become so entangled by these abundant blessings that we have. As children of God, are we behaving as we should? Are we thankful for these blessings? Are we thankful to God first and then thankful to Him in prayer for these blessings that He gives us? Remember, God will never fail us. But these things, the stuff that we gain in this life, if we place our emphasis on them, <clears throat> certainly they will fail us and may even lead us down a sinful road and may even cause us to fall away from God and to believe false teachings and false doctrines. So as children of God, let's remember to behave as we should as members of the body of Christ. Let us conduct ourselves in a manner befitting the children of God.